What if God wanted more than just a little spiritual life drawer? What if God said he wanted you to passionately pursue him through your job? What about your health, your marriage, your parenting, family, hobbies, possessions, experiences, or just your life? What if God said he wanted you to passionately pursue him in all things? Are you in? Whom will you serve? Yes, Ryan, thank you. Uh, a couple weeks ago when Ryan said those words and then Will did such a great job with that video, it, it really sets the stage for uh, what we want to accomplish over the next several weeks in our newest series, Passion and Practice. I hope you got a sense. I know I feel a lot of passion right now. I hope you do too. From our church, uh, what a great job from our worship team, just uh, the passion shown and, and the fact that we can come together and celebrate Christ. That's who it's all about. And so our goal as we go throughout the next several weeks in this series, Passion and Practice, is to show us how we can take that passion, our, our, our theme, our mission, our vision for our church is passionately pursuing Christ. How can we take that and transition it into the everyday life? That's really what we want to accomplish. About a year ago, uh, last summer, uh, some of the elders and leadership of the church went through our mission and vision statement. I want to show it to you again, just to remind you. And now, a year later, as we have focused on this mission and vision statement, as we have become excited about passionately pursuing Christ, now we want to take some time, as I said before, and say, okay, well, how now do we put this into our lives? How does this affect my marriage? How does this affect my career? How does this affect everything that I do? And so our mission and vision statement, Mount Calvary Church exists to make disciples who are passionately pursuing Christ through biblical teaching, worship, service, community, and missions. And each of these areas consists of three aspects, corporately, personally, and globally. And so as, as our leadership, as we have been searching uh, uh, for a new pastor, our pastoral search team has done a great job, we want somebody who embodies this mission and vision. We want somebody who can lead us in the direction that we as a body of believers needs to go in our personal lives as a church, and around the world. But ultimately, it is Christ who leads us. And we want to remember that. Now, as we begin, as we kick off this series, our key verse for it is 1 Corinthians 10.31. And I, I know that it's probably familiar to a lot of us. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We want that to be our focus. Paul gives uh, this verse in the context of eating food offered to idols. It's an interesting text. We're not going to look in depth at this text today, but I encourage you to do that. But the truth that is proclaimed in this verse is timeless. 
and it's applicable to all of us. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Ryan challenged us, does God have control over your job, your health, your marriage, your experiences, your parenting, athletics, leisure, whatever you want to put into it, that is whatever you do. Everything about you and your life should be for the glory of God. That's why we're here. That's why you and I exist, is to bring glory to God. And so as we work through this series, I hope that it's helpful and practical to you. I would also encourage you that this is a great opportunity to invite people to come to church. Say, hey, in two weeks, in two weeks we're going to talk about parenting. You want to come out? I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us to see more people come to church, and I hope that you'll take the advantage that you have to invite them for this series. So in two weeks, we will be talking about parenting. We're excited about that. We're also dealing with issues of marriage, athletics, career, rest, hobbies, leisure. And so this is an exciting time. But as we begin, as we kick off this morning, passion and practice, I want to do three things. I want to talk to you a little bit about passion. I want to talk to you a little bit about practice. And then I want to give you a challenge, a challenge that God has been working in my heart and life, a challenge that I want to give to you that I hope that you're willing to take this challenge with me. Can we do that? So first, we're going to look at passion. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 63. Passion and practice. Psalm 63. It is also up on the screen. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. I believe that this text, Psalm 63, is going to give us three keys for passion. 
I hope as we read it, you got a sense of David's heart as he is in the desert. There is no water. Yet notice how he opens. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. First key to passion I want to share with you today is to be thirsty for God. Be thirsty for God. I have recently started uh, dieting. I know. And uh, I've been trying something new. I haven't changed what I eat. What I've changed is when I eat it. It's not bad. It means I can, you know, eat what I want, just in a smaller window of time. So the idea is, it's called intermittent fasting. The idea is that I eat food. It's supposed to be, you know, a well-balanced meal. But like I said, I get to, I'm eating what I want. Um, but it's just in a smaller window of time. And so I go extended periods of time. And when I say extended, I, I don't mean like days, okay? I'm not, I'm not that committed to this thing. Um, but hours, you know, I go without eating. And, uh, you know, the first, the first week or two, it was really hard, really hard. I said, okay, I just, I ate a big dinner. I said, okay, now I'm not going to eat again. I just had a big meal. I'm not going to eat again until tomorrow afternoon. And so uh, that's what I decided. I'm committed to this. I'm going to do it. And so I wake up the next morning, and of course, you know, the belly is growling. Okay, I'm hungry. But hey, I resisted temptation. And so I went all day, and I actually made it. But it got me thinking that when I go a few hours without food or water, my body craves that. I have a passion for food. We're to have that same thing with God, right? When I go hours without God, I should notice it. I should have a hunger, a desire, a thirst to be with him. Something that stood out to me in verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. The word earnestly literally means early. Early, I seek you. I get asked on occasion uh, by my students who want to dig into the Word and want to read it in their personal devotions, you know, is it better to, to read it in the morning or at night? Or, you know, when should I make my reading time? And I tell them, well, I mean, it's good to be in the Word every day, but ultimately I, I would encourage them all to make it early. That when I wake up in the morning, I have a desire to visit, to start my day off with the creator of the universe who loves me and sent his son for me. I have a desire to talk with my wife when I get up in the morning, right? I should have the same desire, a strong, an even stronger desire to be with my God in the morning. Be thirsty for God. He says, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The same way that you and I need food and water to survive, we need to have that same connection, even a deeper passion, a deeper thirst and hunger 
for God. I was talking with some students, I think it was last week, and I think one of them asked me, how do unbelievers handle difficulty? And I said, I have no idea. I know that if I didn't have Jesus, you know, I would turn to things that the world turns to. That I can't imagine life without Jesus. That is devastating to me. And so we need to have a thirst early for God. Notice verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory, your power, and your glory. The reason why we thirst for God, the reason why we need God is because we recognize who God is and what he's done for us. We've seen his power and glory. We've experienced that power even this morning, worshiping together. I hope you felt God moving in this place. I felt the spirit of God moving, stirring in my heart. So the first key to passion is to be thirsty for God. Verses three through eight. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. The second key for passion, be satisfied with God. Be satisfied with God. He says in verse 3, because your love is better than life. The word love is chesed. It is often translated as mercy or loving kindness, but really as the idea of God's covenantal love. His love that is bound by his promises. That love that God has for us is better than life. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're going to look at some words of Jesus in just a couple of minutes. But Jesus is going to tell us that we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That ultimately our lives belong to God. And we need to be satisfied in that. I love verse 5. My soul be satisfied with the richest of foods. He keeps keeps this uh, motif of thirsting and hungering up. He says, in God I am full. Honestly, he says, I'm not full of junk food. I'm full of the choicest foods. And so when you and I thirst for God, when we desire to be in the word every day, when we seek him early, we are filled. There's a satisfaction that comes when you and I spend time with our Savior. It is this satisfaction that every one of us 
whether we find it in God or not, is seeking, right? We all want satisfaction. We all want contentment. We all want to be okay with where our lives are, true? We all want that. And we can try to fill that in, in, with all kinds of junk food. You know what happens when I sit down and I eat a bag of cheese curls two hours later? I'm hungry again. I mean, I've eaten a whole bag before, don't judge. <laughs> but I'm hungry again in two hours. Why? Because that food is empty. That food does not satisfy, it does not fill. And you and I often try to, to be satisfied with all kinds of things. And we're going to talk about them over the next few weeks in our careers, in our families. We try to find contentment in relationships. We try to find contentment in hobbies where we can try to, you know, just kind of escape from life for a while. Social media, video games. I mean, these are all kinds of things that you and I and, and all of us in this room try to seek satisfaction in. And ultimately, it's going to leave you empty. It cannot satisfy. It's junk food. And so David is at a point in his life where he recognizes that the only thing that can satisfy him is God. Notice what he says in verse 6. He said earlier that early in the morning he thirsts. Verse 6, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. This is an all-day thing. Early in the morning, he seeks God. As he lies in bed at night, he reflects back on God. He thinks of God and how God showed up in his day. My wife's great at this. She always comes up with these. I come home, and she always says, guess what God did today? And it could be something so, so minute in the grand scheme of our lives. But God cares about those minute things, doesn't he? He loves us intimately. He knows every hair in our head. God cares about those things. And so as you lie in bed at night, do you think about, man, you know, God really worked this situation out. God did this today. It's a total mindset it is not a compartment where I put God and then I go out and live the rest of my life. Be satisfied with God. And then verses 9 through 11. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So we saw that for passion, we need to be thirsty for God. We need to be satisfied with God. And thirdly, we need to be confident in God. Be confident in God. Life is not always easy. Life is surrounded by difficulty. You and I experience difficulty on a daily basis. Some situations are certainly more difficult than others, but it is a fact of life that there is trouble in this life. And it's not going anywhere. You and I will experience trouble for the rest of our lives here on earth. But if you're satisfied in God, if you're satisfied, if you're full of good food, 
then you can have a confidence that I can press on. I can move forward. Look at the confidence of David. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword. Verse 11, but the king will rejoice in God. Confidence leads to rejoicing. The reason why Ryan and the rest of the team are so passionate, the reason why we can sing out so gloriously in our praises to God is because we can be confident in the salvation that we have. We can be confident in the Savior that we serve. What's your passion level like this morning? Can you echo David's words in Psalm 63? Are you thirsty for God? From the moment you wake up, I need to spend time with my Savior. Can you be satisfied with God knowing that that is full, that is filling, and that goes throughout the day, even to when you lay down at night during the watches of the night, you can think back and remember and think about all the things that God did. And are you confident in God moving forward? Whatever that situation is that is difficult, whatever that situation is that you're dreading having to deal with, but you know you have to, you can be confident that God is in control. And that will lead you to rejoice. That's where the passion comes in. Do you want passion? Do you have passion? Be thirsty, be satisfied, be confident. But we also want to look at practice. Turn to the book of Matthew. We also want to look at practice. So we looked at passion, and now I want to look at practice. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown, right? I love that. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. We are in Matthew 16. We're going to start reading verse 24. We're going to read verses 24 to 27. We looked at the passion. Now we want to look at the practice. Right? This is where the rubber meets the road. We might have the passion. We might have the desire but then how are we going to translate that into putting it into practice so that we truly are passionately pursuing Christ? That's what we want to be. That's what we hope to achieve. How do we get there? Matthew 16, verse 24 to 27. Again, the words will be up on the screen as I read. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. 
He goes on to tell them, he warns his disciples in verse 28. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. But what does it take for us to put what we want to accomplish into practice? So just like we have three keys for passion, I want to share with you, I want to challenge you with three keys to practice. To practice. Number one, deny your own authority over your life. This is really what Christ is saying as he tells his disciples, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You and I need to recognize that we are not the authority in our lives. Denying myself means I'm giving up my authority. It is not about what I want. It is not about what I desire. It's not about what I feel is best. Ultimately, I'm saying to God, you are in charge. In my marriage, as a parent, in my job, God, you are in charge. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny the authority over my life. There are three verbs here in this verse. Deny, take up, and follow. It's interesting, as you study the Greek, there are various tenses that all carry with it their own significance. The verbs deny and take up are aorist tense. Eris means it's a one-time completed act. Deny and take up. Follow is present imperative. Follow is an ongoing action. And so there's a little bit of uh, a decision here, decisiveness, yet there's also the principle of this is a daily thing. I need to continue to follow Jesus. Submitting to God's authority is a characteristic of discipleship. That's what discipleship is. We talk about, you know, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. Disciples are people who give up the authority over their lives and give it to Jesus. They follow him. It's what the apostles did. He said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They follow him. That's what discipleship is. And so as a church, we want to be a church of people who are following Jesus. And the only way to accomplish that is to deny the authority over our lives. We need to say, you know what? I need to deny what I want. I need to deny what I feel is best. I need to deny my authority in my life, and I need to submit that authority to God. That's where practice comes in. Number two, key to practice. Give every area of your life over to Christ. This is not an option. This is not a, well, I can keep on to this. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. As I think about this text, I do not believe that this text is about salvation. I believe that Jesus' focus in talking to his disciples is discipleship. 
And so when he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, he is talking about the areas in your life and my life where I'm trying to hold on to. I'm unwilling to relinquish my control over something. I want to save this aspect. And what Jesus says is when you do that, you're going to lose it. If you want to do things your way and your family, you're going to lose your family. If I'm going to do things my way in my job, I'm not going to have success in my job. If I'm going to do things my way in my downtime, in my free time, I'm not going to find fulfillment or satisfaction in that. Every area of your life needs to be given over to Christ. Every area of my life. We're going to talk about this idea in just a couple of minutes for my challenge. My challenge is related to that. I've been convicted about this. Uh, Verse 25, I want to draw your attention to this. When it says life, the Greek word is psyche. It really means uh, uh, the complete whole being. That's what it means. Whole being. Myself in its entirety. So if I want to save my life, any aspect of it, I'm going to lose. It is not going to work out. So if you want to practice your passion for Christ, you must deny your own authority. You must give every area of your life over to Christ. And then finally, number three, you must understand the ultimate gain. This is the beauty of it. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown, right, Ryan? Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. There's great reward for a life given to Jesus. God knows your heart. God sees everything you do. God sees every work you have tried to accomplish for him. God knows that. And there's great reward that comes. Understand that this way, the way that Jesus is calling us to, if I understand the ultimate gain, then there's joy. Ultimately, as we think about passion and practice, as we think about passionately pursuing Christ, I believe that the hallmark of whether or not you're doing that is how joyful you are. I think joy is the hallmark. If your life is a grind, then there's probably something that you need to work on. If your first thought when you wake up in the morning is, ugh, I don't want to do anything today. I've been there. But it means that our focus is not on God. It's not on Jesus. We're not passionately pursuing Christ. Jesus is what matters. He is the king, right? And so everything that you and I do as we think about putting our passion into practice, revolves around serving him. I want to close today with a challenge. 
something that God has been working on my heart, something that I've been convicted of. So just know that this is not a challenge that I'm giving to judge you. It is not a challenge I'm giving to lord it over you in any way. This is a challenge from me and my heart. In fact, I've talked to my sophomores about this too. I really feel like there is, as I, as I examine the course of my week, I feel like there is a lot of time that I spend doing things that have nothing to do with Jesus and my passionate pursuit of him. I think I've gotten spiritually lazy. And I think about, you know, the time that I waste in the course of the day, whether it's playing a game, uh, being on my phone, watching sports or other TV shows that don't really matter for anything, that have no eternal value or significance. I think, man, why do I do that? It's because I'm not being energized. I'm not being passionate in my relationship with Jesus. That's the reason. And so I want to challenge you as we close, as we think about putting passion in practice, as we think about this new series where we are going to talk about difficult things, and please fill out those questions. You have a parenting question, please put it down, because in two weeks we're going to talk about it. We'd love to hear from you. And as we deal with these very uh, practical areas of life, as we think about how our passionate pursuit of Christ affects every area of our lives, I want us, I want to challenge us to eliminate things in your lives that aren't helping you passionately pursue Jesus. Will you start with a week? That's what I'm committing to you to try and do in my own life. We start with a week. Go a week without distraction. Go a week where you do not do anything unless it directly helps you passionately pursue Christ. Go a week without watching TV. Go a week without wasting time on your phone, social media, whatever. That's what I want to challenge you to do. That's what I'm challenging myself to do. Go a week. Where at night, when it's usually a relaxed time, open up your Bible and read it. Instead of watching TV, have a conversation with your wife. There's an idea, right? I am very, very serious and adamant about this. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better teacher. I want to close with a story. I had a friend in college. His name was Dan. Dan uh, got saved as an older guy. And older, I mean like 20, 21. That's pretty old for believing in Jesus. But um, he was a drug dealer and user. And he was so far from God. And then he met Jesus. 
and Jesus saved him, and he came to faith, and he came to Bible college. He came to BBC. He came the year after I did. And we were just talking one day, and he said, Matt, why do Christians spend so much time on stuff that doesn't matter? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, whether it's TV, whether it's, you know, music that's not Christian, whatever it is, it just seems to me like we spend a lot of time, you know, talking about our sports teams and, you know, at, at dinner with the guys in the dorm, you know, and we just don't spend a lot of time talking about Jesus or doing something or going to serve. I'll be honest with you, at the time I was like, eh, sure thing, Dan. But he's right. If Christ is what life is about, then everything I do should be about Christ, right? And so I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, will you take this challenge with me? Can you go a week? without your phone, without TV, without any other distraction in your life? Can you go a week where whatever downtime you usually have, you spend relaxing and resting in your Savior? That when you have a lunch break, how do you use that lunch break? When you get up in the morning, is your first desire to spend time to thirst after your God? Just get up a half an hour earlier. I need to do that. And so uh, just imagine what would happen if us as a church for even a week would spend all of our free time focused on our Savior. Spend all of the time that we usually spend wasting it on things that have zero eternal value. And we said, you know what? There is something greater that I need to pursue with my life. There is something better that I can be doing with my time than sitting on the couch flicking through channels. There's something better I can do with my time than just searching Facebook for some stupid political article that doesn't do anything but just make me frustrated at the world in which I live. What if I took a week and said, you know what? I'm going to spend every moment of it passionately pursuing Christ. That Christ is demanding excellence, zeal, passion from me, and I'm going to give it to him. I'm committing to do this this week and hopefully beyond. I hope and pray that as we close that you will have the same commitment. You'll say, you know what? There are distractions in my life that are not focusing me on Jesus. And for this week, I'm going to get rid of them. I would love to see and hear about what God does in your life and in my life when we're willing to actually do what he says and say, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Are you willing to do that with me? Let's close in prayer.
Father, we thank you as we begin this series. Father, I thank you for how it's affected my life and my heart. I thank you for the impact it has had already, and I pray, Father, that as we go about this week, that we would be willing to give up things that don't matter to pursue things that do, your son. Father, I pray that as we put our passion into practice, that anything that is not yours, whatever it is we're harboring, whatever it is we're holding on to, that we would give up that control. Father, we ask for your strength, for your spirit to empower us, to enable us to spend this week in total commitment to you, and then watch what you can do in our lives when that happens. Father, I pray that as a church that we would be excited about pursuing you, that we would have passion, and that we would be willing to put that passion into practice in a very real way. Father, I pray that all of us would commit to this end, that we'd have the desire for our lives to please you, for our lives to matter. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is not the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in says it's all about us. It really is. It's all about what you want. You have it your way, right? You you, you make the choices that, that, that feed you. <laughs> In reality, the Christian life is all about denying ourselves and giving up authority. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. This, Jesus says there's a better way, and the better way is to follow him. And I pray that you would, you would take uh, Matt's uh, challenge seriously. And, and if, if nothing came to your mind, you would pray and seek God and say, God, show me. Give me eyes to see where I'm wasting my life. And that you would seek him. We're so glad that you are here today, uh, glad that we could worship together, and may, uh, may you have a great day. Remember next week, a little bit different schedule or a little bit different uh, uh, setting for, uh, for the missions conference. Hope that you come out. Uh, have a great week. God bless.